welcome to the UMC Lead Podcast. I am your host, Rob Reinders. Thank you for joining us. And yes, that music you hear is our new intro music provided by the band The Gentle Wolves. The Wolves are the official worship band at Servant Church, a United Methodist Church located in Austin, Texas. The Gentle Wolves and frontman Richard Kintop are longtime friends of Lead and are incredible and we are incredibly thankful for their talent and willingness to let us use their music on the podcast. On this episode, we're continuing to catch up with the speakers from the very first Lead conference, which was held in 2012 in Las Vegas, Nevada. At that conference, we invited up-and-coming leaders in the church to come share with us thoughts, ideas, and stories related to being in ministry with young adults. Today's guests are DJ Del Rosario and April Casperson, who partnered together uh, to deliver their talk at LEAD 2012. Before we get to the interview, just a reminder that the 2017 UMC LEAD conference is coming up soon. It will be held January 22nd through 25th in Charlotte, North Carolina. There are some spots left. However, they were only commuter spots, which means you can register at a lower rate, but you'll need to find your own housing accommodations. Thankfully, there are plenty of great hotel options in downtown Charlotte, so we hope you'll still consider joining us. You can learn more about the conference, including information about all of our speakers, the worship and the immersion experiences by visiting umclead.net. We hope you'll join us. And now, here's my interview with DJ and April. I'm here with DJ Del Rosario and April Casperson, and I'll give them a second to introduce themselves and tell us what they're up to these days. DJ, Who wants you to want to first? introduce yourself? Sure, I'd love to. Thanks, Rob, for having us, and thanks, April, for joining in, too. Um, my name is DJ, and I get to serve as a lead pastor at a church called Bothell United Methodist which is just about 20 minutes northwest of Seattle. And we're a fun church. We have a good time. And one of the big things that we ask ourselves and kind of form our identity is if we don't do what we do when we worship, will our community still know that God loves them? Uh, My name is April Casperson. I am an ordained deacon in the West Ohio Annual Conference. My primary appointment, uh, I serve at Methodist Theological School in Ohio, one of our 13 theological schools, and I serve as the Vice President of Institutional Advancement, so I work with development, alumni relations, and enrollment, as well as conversations about candidacy with our United Methodist students. And I'm also the Chair of the Board of Ordained Ministry in West Ohio. A.K.A. Baller. Yes. (laughs) You two are gracious. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's true. So, Um, And you're a brand new mom. I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm on this phone call right now holding my six-week-old daughter, uh, Chapin Aww. Heather. So I apologize in advance for any strange noises, and I will blame the child for any of those noises. <laughs> yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to know anyone who's upset about that. So it's like, you know, when you're preaching and, and there's a baby crying or something and somebody gets upset. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Last days no of maternity. I'll be back on campus at the end of the week. And so I'm soaking in these last few hours. So, but, but thanks for uh, setting up the call, Rob. So yeah. what do you want us to talk about? So do you guys re- remember, I hope you remember, it wasn't that long ago. What were you both doing in, in 2012 uh, when you were at LEAD? Let me see. I was um, serving at Methodist Theological School, and I was working in enrollment management with um, admissions, financial aid, and scholarship development. 
And I was also participating in a project called Spark 12 um, through the General Board of Higher Education and Ministry, where we were engaging in conversations with young people who wanted to create projects that would transform the world. It was a very busy whirlwind time, but a great time to meet people from across the connection. Yeah, cool. Rob, I was I was serving as the director of um, at General Board of Higher Education and Ministry, director of young adult recruitment and enlistment. And it was the time That's when right. our family had moved about six or seven months in at that point. And we were moved from Linden, Washington, which is kind of like the town of Footloose, over to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And so we're 2,500 miles away from everything we knew to be home. And uh, I got to serve as a big part of that Spark 12 project April was talking about. That was really the first time that our group ever pitched and tried to share publicly outside of boards and agencies what Spark 12 was. And so uh, our talk was really has really been embedded in my head and my heart because I really remember this is the first time we tried to articulate um, the essence of what we were trying to launch, which was a startup for startups, really. And we were trying to really intersect with um, young adults and young people who were interested in transforming the world. And I remember that we were both based, we were both noticing people were coming from two tracks. We had people who were coming with an identity of um, within the United Methodist Church saying, oh, I want to be ordained in the United Methodist Church and be a clergy person or a lay person and fit into these existing structures and do wonderful work. And that was really exciting. And then I remember um, we talked about encountering people who wanted to transform the world, but they were coming from secular organizations or non-church-based backgrounds, and yet what they were articulating was really a call to ministry, either lay, um, professional lay ministry or ordained ministry, but they weren't using the same language. And so one of the hmm. benefits of trying to create the Spark 12 uh project is to create this opportunity for intersection between the two groups and also recruit from the two groups because we really had this focus on um, bringing in the best and the brightest or those with the most potential. Cool. What, um, what, remind me what happened with that project. Um, I'm trying to scrape my memory here. That's okay. We, um, we, so the first, we, we had one full year when the main drivers of that group, excuse me, were April Casperson, Patrick Scriven, and Joe Kim and myself. And uh, we raised about a quarter of a million dollars um, through various boards and agencies and other funding. And the, the model of what we were trying to do was to be able to provide a mentorship program because at that time, and I think this was around 2011 to 2012 when we were launching this idea, um, we realized based off of statistics like from Y Combinators um, and Techstars that if uh, 100 startups try to launch, they only had a 30% success rate. But if startups had the mentoring program similar to what we were trying to pattern ourselves after, then the success rate flipped to 70%. Um, and so what we were trying to do with that was to try to find funding and mentorship and the connection of the Global Methodist Church to be able to launch these ideas in really healthy ways. The challenge happened in many ways. In April, I'll let you jump in on this part. The big one was, um, we, I got reassigned and reappointed as an elder back to a local church. And I was really excited to be reassigned, but there were some handoff challenges, I think, there. April, what was your perspective? Um, we were given a lot of authority to take these ideas and to 
search for funding and then to implement these ideas, our timeline was very compressed because um, our work was overlaid with um, all the energy and human capital moving to our general conference 2012 and all of the, uh, the focus areas of the church at that time. And then we were all very busy in our personal and professional lives. And we were also um, living in the tension of working within an institution that has fantastic resources and fantastic mentoring and also trying to envision this first, basically this first draft of what it would mean to bring in these somewhat secular ideas that were really theologically based in transforming the world and trying to connect those two areas. So it was, it was an exciting time, but boy, it was a whirlwind. And then we had some transition time and it was good to be able to hand that off to the next group of people. Yeah. Do you guys listen to the startup podcast? Uh, okay. It was started by Alex Alex Blumberg, who was with I think uh, NPR and n- not all things considered. Uh, what's the This American Life? And he started a podcast about starting a podcast. Mm. Um, it's meta. very it's very meta, <laughs> yeah. And that it's been huge. And ba- and basically, um, the the first season was about starting starting a podcasting uh, company. And so when you guys were talking about Spark 12, um, it was a, a lot of, uh, it reminded me of that because he had to go through, he had to learn business practices. He had to learn how to raise money, how to develop a business from from the ground up. And I was talking to a friend, a colleague of ours uh, recently who uh, had a staff member who uh, just, you know, the staff member, it was clear, was having behavioral issues and uh, needed to be um, uh, talked with and, and potentially let go. But the staff parish relations committee was like, no, we, we need to keep giving this person a chance, even though it was like the millionth time and they were causing all this destructive stuff. Um, and we talked about crucial conversations and, um, you know, 90 day uh, work plans or performance plans and, and stuff like that. And um, our colleague had never heard, really heard of any of this stuff or had seen it implemented. And I just think that, you know, something like Spark 12 uh, meets this resistance in, in the church because we've just never really known how to develop good business practices. Now, I know a lot of people would yell at me about that, but I don't know. Um, that it just made me think of all that. Like, do you think that's part of a reason that that creative, innovative things like that you guys were modeling off of very successful startup incubators, um, but it didn't seem to catch fire in ways that it might in in the business world? I, you know, I think that's a really that's a really thoughtful question. I'm seeing um, this tension, and this tension is good. Within the United Methodist Church, I see it within our theological schools and I see it within our boards of ordained ministry because we have these competing pressures. We need people who can do ministry in the now, in the realities of the structures that we have right now, in the existing churches that we have right now with all of their wonderful things and all of their flaws. And we also need people who can be leaders, uh, lay and ordained leaders uh, for the not yet for ministry settings or for ministries or areas of need that we simply can't even envision. And so we're working with different skill sets and recruiting different skill sets, but I think it can often be a challenge to step into investing in something that has not been created yet when there are also urgent needs now. Mm. 
DJ, do you have any, any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I agree. I think, I, I think you, uh, April actually really named it really well. We have this um, great opportunity right now with so much low-hanging fruit where we have um, a structure of the United Methodist Church which provides resources that are both national and global um, and actually funds, thanks to our apportionments that are um, incredible. And we have um, leadership at different levels willing to invest in not only leaders but young leaders and invest in not patronizing ways, but ways of say, how can we make room um, to let the spirit be the spirit in both lady and non-lady, as April was naming. Um, I think the challenge we have is, um, in my opinion, we've had a couple of generations where we haven't had a great opportunity where um, leaders have been handing off the mantle and mentoring um, clergy and lady in such a way that now for the first time, like the three of us are relatively same age bracket. Um, but we're getting opportunities that the generation before us and the generation before them rarely had. But as a whole, the millennials and Gen Xers are getting opportunities that are just incredible, especially the younger Gen Xers. Um, so our system hasn't done the handing off of batons nearly as well as I think we needed to. And now we're facing that. Um, the good news is younger clergy, younger lay people are getting opportunities. The challenge is um, we don't have a system to support and uplift and say, hey, maybe Spark 12 didn't go the way we wanted it to go, but here's some of the things we learned. Like for myself, it's even be on the phone with both of you right now, listening to April and how she navigates um, and responses and her passion and her calling, was it's, it's something that would never have happened if it wasn't for Spark 12 and UMC Lead. Getting to know you, Rob, and hearing your passions for the church, and especially outside the church, would never have occurred if it wasn't for the structure we currently have. So I think it's a both-end kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Have you guys observed and and again, this is just one of those like I'm probably crazy and the only one seen it. But um, D- DJ, you mentioned uh, younger millennial and and or younger Gen X pastors um, who are getting probably appointments that in previous generations they might not even be getting till the end of their career. Um, yeah, uh, which means that they're they're being appointed to congregations where uh, there's boomers and and probably um older than boomers make up the 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 primary population and there seems to be you know clashing generational generational clashing there between the the leadership of a millennial and a gen xer and then you know boomers and and um and others who who are like whoa we've had this status quo and here's this young person coming in and wants to change anything and then it just seems to create this toxic atmosphere do you guys see that uh, going on and and if so what's what are some different ways we can approach that as a church do you want to start with that one april because you get to see a lot of students coming through methesco um i think i think we also have to interject a different um and a dis not different an additional generation um and talking about generation in terms of ministry experience. So you have people who are going to seminary um, in their uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, in a different season of their professional life where they really, and I mean this in a positive way, and I, uh, age-wise, I fit into these brackets, they have nothing to lose. They have other professional experiences and they have no obligation to um, work within a system that will tear them down. And then we also have, um, in terms of age, younger students, because our youngest seminary students now are born in 91, 92, 93, which I think need, that needs oh to be yes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I think that because it's important. And they grew up um, 
Like, I, I remember when Google became a thing. Like, they've always had the Internet. You see all of the, the different articles online saying this is the perspective of someone who is going to college or grad school right now. But they are hungering to transform the world, but they also understand structural systems and the benefits and challenges. So I think the tension comes from different um, geographical contexts because all three of us are from different annual conferences. And I think that there is some tension between um, attitudes of having to put in your time, but also how do we equip people who are younger in ministry in terms of professional experience, how do we equip them for success so we're not simply banking on enthusiasm or charisma mm. and helping them really be mm. successful? DJ, what do you think? You know, from my experience, especially um, coming to be appointed as lead pastor at Bothell, um, I, I definitely experienced a lot of challenges. And one of the biggest ones, I think, um, is continually uh, the internal pressure and the external pressure. Um, so the internal pressure for me was I had this um, thought going through my head when I came to serve here at Bothell that I didn't want to play church anymore. I wanted to be relevant. I wanted to make sure that we were living on our calling um, as a people. And we weren't just doing things for the sake of doing them because tradition has got us to where we are and look where the state of the church is. And, oh, my gosh, the world's falling apart. Um, almost five years later now, my, my tune is changing a bit. i got to be honest. I, I feel like I came in with uh, such a desire to not play church. I forgot to pay attention to where God was already tilling the ground long before I showed up. And I, I, I wonder, as younger clergy, if we find ways um, to not just have our passions and be willing to prophetically step out, but also uh, to look carefully to see um, the faithfulness of disciples, of people who really genuinely want to see Jesus change things, but for one reason or another that sometimes are out of their hands, uh, can't make those effective changes, but do need somebody, which is part of the reason why we're itinerant, to come in and shake things up or turn the heat up or have at least the emotional intelligence to know what time it is and when to do things in a right pace that invites people versus um, pushes them, um, I think it makes a huge difference. Now, yes, a very clear question about older generation of clergy that feel like sometimes they got skipped over, and I definitely experienced that when I came back to my conference. And what I found, Rob and April, for the most part, it was folks I didn't really know very well, and, it, and it's so easy to assume the worst of one another, even in our colleagues, if we don't take the time to look in each other's eyes and say, this is what I'm experiencing, what do you think? Um, and I, unfortunately, I'm just as guilty of that as the next person, and it's something that's been a humbling process um, that I've learned, especially moving out from the young clergy status to a middle-aged clergy. Oh, my gosh, I just said that live. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the moment we mark it right down when DJ began his midlife crisis. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> We'll be looking for you to post your picture of a convertible on, on Facebook sometime in the next few months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, maybe not a convertible, but something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a sweet new bike. I just went. I have, I have a bike. I live in Tucson now, and um, this is a total non sequitur. Uh, and you're supposed to ride bikes when you're in Tucson. So I went on my first hour-long bike ride, and I didn't get killed. So... Nice. Yeah. Thanks. I gotta say, I gotta say too, Rob. This the thing that April and I had a chance to talk about at UMC Lead and to share publicly was received very well. And also, we had some fantastic constructive feedback about it. Um, mm. And the the chance to be able to name to other 
um, lady and non-lay people who are passionate about not just the welfare of the church, but the coming of the kingdom of God, and have people want to talk about it and want to engage and want to see how it might fit and adapt in their calling. For me, that was gigantic. I, I go back very often in my mind as I leave Bothell um, in my position to some of the things that we did and we practiced, um, not just at Spark 12, but especially in those times with Patrick and Joe and April. And we also had great mentors like Theon Johnson III and Sholem Atrap, um, and we made great connections. And even though maybe it's not where I personally hoped it would be a few years later, uh, the learning moments have been incredible. And the relationships at UMC Lead from that have been amazing to me. And that's stuff that I didn't want, but I'm so glad I, I got to receive, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd like to also follow up by saying that uh, on my good days, I'm enthusiastic. On my bad days, I am reluctant. But I am a company woman. Like, I am a product of the United Methodist Church, and I also deliberately am staying within the United Methodist Church. And, I'm like, I'm an ISTJ. I love structure. I love seeing pathways. I love knowing that there's a track. And I know that the benefits of having an organization that is connectional and that is global, like the United Methodist Church means that there are pathways for women, for minorities, for voices that have been silenced where we can um, slowly but surely make incremental and sometimes sweeping changes that are needed. And I see a place for opportunities for everyone, which brings me a lot of joy. So I feel like I live a lot in the tension I mean, I serve in the United Methodist Church. I serve in a theological school, which is an institution that has a lot of structure. And we're looking at, we work with the Board of Ordained Ministry, which is focused on getting people through a pathway and setting them up for success. And there's a lot of benefits from remaining a part of the United Methodist Church. I am continually amazed, especially by our students, who are preparing for a life of ministry, either traditional pulpit ministry or other non-traditional ministries. And they're, they're all in. And it gives me hope. And it makes me want to stay as well. Mm. Uh, last... For the United Methodist Church, but I can't help it. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a fan. And by the way, the application <laughs> process at uh, the Methodist Theological School is oh, now open. No. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I don't know if it is, but... Uh, <laughs> Last question before we get to the bonus round. Um, I've heard you both talking about it, about setting people up for success no matter what the situation. What's what's one concrete thing um, the church can be doing differently to set people up for success, or or maybe it's it's being done and and we're just we're not naming it loud enough. I would say um, we need to be very careful, and I include myself in that on how I engage with people. Um, no matter who they are. Um, I often wonder if we don't wait for our turn to speak next, but we, we look for an opportunity to honor the gifts and the graces in one another uh, would make a gigantic difference. Um, what Spark 12 did for me was it, it challenged me to consider and think about um, not just what do I think the world needs to change, but where is God working in places and people that we never thought of? One of the biggest challenges from my perspective that we faced was do we invest in the project idea someone has or the person? And how much do we balance the two? And I think one of the biggest things that the Methodist Church in general and churches in general struggle with is do we invest in the idea someone has that can change the world or the person? Or if we do both, how do we in the world do we balance that? 
Uh, and the key to that for me is continually uh, listening and discerning the spirit and also um, surrounding people with mentorships and coaching and the right relationships where they have an opportunity to succeed and understand that even if it doesn't turn out the way you hope it would be, that doesn't mean it's a failure necessarily. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that. Um, two things. First, I am deeply aware that I would not have ever had the access to opportunities that I have had and um, may have in the future without uh, people creating a space for me and generations of people serving before me. And so I think we all need to have an awareness of those who did the visible and invisible work to make places for us um, in this moment and in the future. And then second, when it comes to um, that mentoring piece, I think those of us who are parts of an institution need to reach out to those who we see that they have potential and help them navigate existing structures because we have, we're Methodists and we have lots of uh, pathways and instructions written down, but there's oftentimes a lot of um, unspoken rules, regulations, and cultural um, competencies and assumptions that people just wouldn't know because they don't have any context and they might get left behind even though they may be um, the person in the room that God is really trying to lift up. And then also to point out opportunities and really push them to people who have a lot of potential. Because again, I I remember I served as an associate pastor for about seven years in college and while I was in seminary. And then I ended up working at the school. Um, And it was once I was plugged into an institution, the school, that I became aware of uh, more of the scope of the United Methodist Church and just other resources and ways that we lift up people, especially young people. And I just didn't know what I didn't know until I was plugged into an institution. And so I'm aware that there are people who aren't plugged in yet. And if I can push information and resources toward them, then that can really transform their lives. And it's not about me, but it's about creating other opportunities for other people. Cool. Um, in closing, what are what's one project or, or one thing that each of you were really excited about right now? I would say, um, can I do two? I'll do. I'll be quick though. That yeah, please. Okay? Yeah, I'm excited about a lot of things. We're 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 launching a second site. Uh, we have an incredible pastor who we brought in, and we're sharing the resources. Her name is Sarah Casey. And she's from the Chicago, Illinois area. And we're, we're dreaming about a church where people who don't know that Jesus loves them, who may not have any desire to be a part of the church, um, can find a space in a place where they are not just safe, but they're challenged and encouraged. And it's something that would be deeply rooted in Scripture and in um, a, a social justice calling in the Wesleyan way, in all the best of ways. And the second is um, we're also working really, really hard. Um, we have a director of community engagement. Her name is Kristen Joyner. And she's working with the cities of Buffalo and Kenmore um, about providing a resource space and a center for people who are non-dominant and trans- transitioning and transient um, to be able to find the resources that they need because it's not currently available in Buffalo and Kenmore, which is just a travesty in my opinion. But we have just incredible relationships with um, the local government on both sides of Kenmore and Buffalo and others. And Kristen's really leading us in that. And those are two things, Rob, that I have nothing to do with. I just get to sit back and as best as I can, try to help guide and encourage and uh, cheer them on. 
But a lot of the ways I'm interacting with these two incredible leaders, one lay and non-lay, is, uh, is still kind of stepping off of the stuff that April and Patrick and Joe and I did uh, in terms of just trying to create space for them and trying to encourage them, but not trying to do everything because they can do so much better than just me if I was trying to do this by myself. Awesome. April? Wow, that, that sounds really fun. Like, I want to be a part of those projects, DJ. That's great. <laughs> Don't say that out loud to him because uh, a year yeah. from now, you might be in, out there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he makes things happen. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about um, two things. One, uh, from our school's context, over the last couple of years, we've uh, We've built Seminary Hill Farm, which is a USDA certified organic farm on our campus, over 10 acres. But I've also seen the, oh, such a pun, that wasn't even intended, the fruits of our labors. I can't believe I just said <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was just came to me. The fruits of our labors, um, we've engaged, we're located just north of Columbus, Ohio, and we've been engaging in acts of food justice as well as uh, working with local schools and so there were pictures on our Facebook from a we had a, a local preschool come up to learn about farming and there were pictures of these preschoolers running with our farm dogs picking uh picking uh produce out of our fields and then making their own homemade pizzas for lunch in our dining hall and the fact that these children got to see the process from start to finish and engage with it made me hopeful because there was a theological basis for why they were coming up um, to our campus. And then second, uh, I have the privilege of serving in fundraising. And even in the realities of anxiety about the United Methodist Church or about how we fund ordained ministers or about how we maintain our existing churches and have new church starts, we consistently have people who give small gifts and large gifts, especially to scholarships for students. So there's a lot of hope. People are still giving their resources and supporting even in the midst of uncertainty. And for me, it's, uh, it's a statement about God's presence in all times and in all places. And it makes me very hopeful about the future of our church and about the denomination in general. Cool. Well, thank you both for uh, taking time to... Um talk about uh lead your talk and um the work you were doing and and the ways in which uh god is calling you to do um be the hands and feet of christ in the world uh today um really exciting stuff and as always just an honor and a pleasure to talk to both of you